Hello and welcome to a very special edition of Crime Time FM. Today we're bringing you The Christmas Debate, a show that features a great selection of critics picking their best books of the year. And this is always one of our most popular shows. The Crime Time and Crime Time FM debate about the best crime fiction novels of 2023, recorded in front of an audience at Waterstones in Islington. Of course, we do this every year, usually a bit later than this. So we went early this year, thinking once you've heard about the books, it will give you plenty of opportunity to get in there and get something for that Christmas stocking, or just give yourself a little treat at this time of the year. So just sit back and relax. No need to worry about the names of the books. You just click the link on the program notes, and that'll take you to the lists which are all on the Crime Time webpage. So I'm going to hand you over now to our impeccable compare for the night, Barry Forshaw. So welcome everybody. We are here to discuss the Crime Time and Crime Time FM Best Crime Fiction of the Year. And we have here the creme de la creme of crime critics. I mean, look at this. When did you see talent like this on one stage? Every one of them knows their grammar and knows how to spell, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Generally speaking. I'm Barry Forshaw. I'm the author of Crime Fiction, The Reader's Guide, and I'm the Financial Times crime critic. So I'll go through them, not necessarily alphabetical. But Laura Wilson. Laura's told me that what might happen during the course of this event, Laura? Oh, just about anything. I'm off my tits on coding. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody else off their tits on coding? I'll have some. We are recording this, aren't we? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Guardian crime fiction critic Laura Wilson is an award-winning writer of psychological thrillers and her first YA novel, Monochrome, written as Jamie Costello, was published in 2022. A second YA novel, The Midnight Clock, is that correct? Which is basically crime plus time travel, comes out in March next year. Val McDermott hates mixing genres. She doesn't want a werewolf to appear in a crime novel. But you're not really doing that, are you? It's not... Well, I'm not sure how much I like it in crime novels, but what I do like about YA is that absolutely anything goes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you can kind of like... That's good. Throw caution to the wings and have fun, and I am really enjoying myself. So we used to, when I was writing with The Guardian, we would split crime and thrillers. I do thrillers, Laura would do crime. What was your definition of the difference between crime and thrillers? Oh, if I want to review it, it's crime. If he wants to review it, it's a crime. <laughs> <laughs> but then they replaced him with a poetry column. Yes. So now I have to do everything. You know, poetry, instead of me. with the man running away from the explosion on the cover. I have to read them. <laughs> <laughs> so Paul Burke, sitting over there, who's recording everything, so your laughter... If it ever occurs, we'll be recorded by we'll Paul. We'll be holding up cards. <laughs> so Paul Beck writes about crime fiction for Crime Time, Crime Fiction Lover, and the European Literature Network, The Riveter. He moderates the crime festivals. He co-presents and edits Crime Time FM, and is a judge for the CWA Historical Dagger, probably hired by Mike Stott, who's sitting here. <laughs> this is a high-class audience. You know. And he lives in Wales and speaks fluent Welsh. I have I have a Welsh name on my uh, list here, so you we'll do. see how you okay. do when we I'm get to that, Barry. <laughs> Can we make an announcement, or is it too soon? Okay. <laughs> the definitive history of espionage is about to be written by him. He had the contract signed today. Ayawan Atade is a freelance commentator on all things crime fiction related. 
She writes about crime fiction for Shots Mag. I've heard of that. Shots Mag. It's like crime time, isn't it? And Shots Mag Confidential. She moderates panels at crime festivals, and she's currently a judge for the Ian Fleming Steel Dagger, chair of the HWA, Historical Writers Association, debut dagger, and the Nio Marsh Awards judge. She also sits on the advisory committee for capital crime. This isn't her day job. <laughs> her day job is to... I've got to go there, haven't I? Supreme Court judges, this woman organises. Is that an easy job? Uh, yes, it is. To certain extent, as long as there's coffee and chocolate biscuits. Okay, that's all And I was also my secret weapon. If, if I do a panel and she's in the audience and I need somebody to ask the first question, I can guarantee she will. So, Maxim Jakubowski, what do you say about Maxim? A living legend, is he not? He reviewed crime for The Guardian for 12 years. We've got three Guardian reviewers here. And now writes a monthly column for Crime Time, an ex-publisher, winner of the Anthony and Red Herrings Award, former chair of the Crime Writers Association. He has written 21 novels, is that right? None this week? One this week. One this week. <laughs> and the latest, Just now, a Girl I'm, with I'm, a Gun. I'm now grown up, 21 uh, books. 21 books. <laughs> so uh, his real, his magnum opus, the book that leaves all the rest, is Rock Stars in Their Underpants, <laughs> which was his finest hour. And I believe he actually stripped down to his own underpants. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? Oh, was it? Was it Mick Jagger or, or no, Paula with, Yates? With uh, Paula Yates and Richard Branson. Okay. Oh, who had the best pants? <laughs> <laughs> it was such a long time ago, I can't remember. <laughs> Purely because I, I normally go, you, I normally go commando. So I, <laughs> <laughs> I have to <laughs> Did we really want to know that? You do, I'm just so tempted to ask more questions myself. <laughs> so now the real journalist in the room, even, even Jake won't be offended if I say this, is John Coates. John Coates is the deputy news editor of the Sunday Express. He reviews crime fiction and thrillers for the Daily and Sunday Express, and was a judge for the CW Historical Dagger for three years. Which I think I got you into, did I not? You and Mike. And Mike, thank you. And uh, you were with the Wilbur Smith Adventure Writing Prize for two years before taking a break this year. And you sit on the advisory committee of Capital Crime. And he and I have a lot of meals together, do we not? Uh, quite a few. Because publishers take us out for meals thinking they will, it will guarantee a review. Does it in your case? Occasionally. The briefest yes, notes I've got is about Jake Carriage, because Jake said, he's so well known, I don't need to say much about him. <laughs> All he told me, and I, is this, <clears throat> Jake Carriage is the crime and thriller critic of the Daily Telegraph. That's pretty heavyweight. Is it not? Yeah. And he's been a judge for the Crime Writers Association. That's all you gave me. So uh, you, he's a man who took on Dan Brown and Stephen King. Did you not? Yes. You were disinvited, as you've been disinvited from things, haven't you, for reviews you've written? Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> who, was, who disinvited you? P.D. James uh, and Robert Crace. There's a twosome. All right, Victoria Selman is the author of Truly, Darkly, Deeply, which is on sale here tonight. The Spring 2023 Richard and Judy Book Club pick and nominated both the Theakston's Crime Novel of the Year Award and the Fingerprint Thriller of the Year Award. The film rights have been sold, correct? Yeah. To, to Seesaw Films. She's also the author of the Zeba McKenzie uh, series. She works on Crime Time FM, 
the three of us who run Crime Tab Home are in this room, are we not? But these two work far harder than me. So basically, we're going to talk about the best um, crime novels of the year. We've got ten choices each. We will only get through five, I would think, of each, but we might get through some at the end. Um, let's start with Io, your first book. Um, All the Sinners Bleed by S.A. Crosby. That's my right. favourite book. Two sentences on it, then. <laughs> oh, that's a bit difficult. Um, brilliant sense of place, brilliant characters. He really knows how to write about the South and things that are taking place. And if you haven't started reading S.A. Cosby, you really should be. S.A. Cosby is one of those great finds, is he not? Yes. And when we all yeah. discovered him, we realised how good he was. And it's interesting how many good black American crime writers there are. Yes. Anybody else pick um, S.A. Cosby? Oh, yeah, for sure. What did you think, Paul? I don't think you can leave him out. I think he's just a fantastic writer emotionally. It just makes you feel so much. Um, it's muscular and at the same time so emotional. Yes. Beautiful writing. He writes blurbs better than some people write. <laughs> I did, I've not managed to meet him. He's been over several times, hasn't he? You've yes. met him, I have. I actually, funny enough, I first met him in 2018 in Florida when I was there for Bartikon, right. and we were standing there talking about the book. And the next thing I know, um, he sent me a message to say, oh, you've got a UK publisher, which was absolutely brilliant. But, yeah. And he's done rather much. well since then. He's done rather well since then. And he's incredibly nice to talk to, and incredibly generous with his time. And his books are, from, as far as I'm concerned, he's one of the best um, authors that I've found through the last couple of years. Isn't it nice when you find a writer like that who you know is reliable, and you can pick him mm. and it's safe? It's safe. You will have a really good time. Yeah. So, your first choice. Corey Selman. <laughs> well, actually, my first choice is probably your first choice as well, isn't right, it? Right, OK. You know what we're going to talk about. Yep. The Quiet Tenants by Clements Michelon, which was my absolute book of the year. I adored it. And what's so brilliant about it, it's about a woman who is held captive by a serial killer in her shed. And we were talking before we started talking formally about how crime novels need a twist. This book doesn't have a twist. And yet, it's one of the most thrilling reads you can imagine. It's all about, really, not, not just how does she get out, which, of course, has you on the edge of your seat. You know she's going to. I mean, it, it kind of has to go that way. But for me, the real appeal was the psychology of it. And she really nails it, doesn't she? I mean, there's a scene, and it's not going to give anything away, where most writers would have gone with the plot and let her and taken the scene and done something with it from a plot perspective. But this writer was true to the psychology in a way that was made you first of all question how this character could be should I say what it is actually I'm probably not being clear she's taken out of the shed by the by the um by the captor and she's taken she's driven around the streets and a judge stops the car because he needs help with something and she has that moment where she could say help I've been held captive for half many years I'm so and so but she doesn't she's terrified because she doesn't want to upset her captor lest he punish her later and it has you as a reader screaming out. I mean, literally screaming out, say something, say something. And she doesn't. And it's just yeah. brilliant, isn't yeah. it, for that? It's the, the three women characters are so mm. beautifully drawn. And it's mm. one of those where, you know, sometimes when you switch between characters, you can, you, one of them is stronger, one of them is, These characters yeah. are all three very strong. The relationships between them are really special. Mm. And it's, it's, it's basically it's this victim-centred crime fiction. Yeah which makes the focus the women and not the serial killer. And it's an incredibly yeah, so never, more they never call that. him by his name. I mean, he isn't even given a name. He's taken everything from these women, and so the writer takes everything from him. And that 
that in a way is the twist mm-hmm. as well, isn't it? Just how it's handled is, is genius. Sorry, what was it called again? It's called The Quiet Tenant. I've been raving about it on off for the entire <laughs> year. So, The Quiet Tenant, Clemens Michelon. Well, the first book I picked, who's the Dennis Lehane fan in this room? Quite a few. I thought that was fairly safe. Small Mercies, which I think several other people have picked as well. And I wrote in the FD, the Marcy Lehane's latest set in 1970s Boston has two women linked by the fate of their children set against the background of incendiary racial, interracial conflict. You're a Dennis Lehane fan, are you not? John, are you a fan? Yeah. Lehane. What's your first pick? <clears throat> My first pick is a book that's just come out, which is called uh, Palace of Shadows by Ray Celestine, mm. um, which is uh, it's a very strange and puzzling mm. book. Some people love it, some people hate it. It's about a penniless artist in Victorian London who he's, he's a very good friend of uh, Oscar Wilde, who's been exiled to France. No one will buy his kind of disturbing artwork, so he gets commissioned to go up to North York Moors, where um, a mysterious heiress is building a sprawling kind of house. And whenever one part's finished, she builds more wings on. Mm-hmm. And when he arrives, the locals in the local inn say it's built on haunted land, and anyone that lives there for a length of time goes insane and then will disappear on the moors and never be seen again. So they tell him not to stay there which he dismisses, but then as soon as he goes in, let's say strange things start Mm. happening, and um, he starts to realise how much danger he's put himself in. I actually know a secret about Ray Celestin. You probably know it as well. His name. (laughs) His real name. Do you know his real name? No, I'm not going to reveal it. He did say to me that um, this is the one Gothic book that he was going to write. He had one Gothic book in him, and he was not going to go back to the Gothic of the it's terrific. It's very different from what he's done. It is. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah, I think it's wonderful, and the ending will stay with you for a long time. It's just. Um, and he came up with a great concept, didn't he? His first books were about having Louis Armstrong yes. as, a, as yeah. the yeah, sleuth. Yes. What a fantastic yeah. idea. Yeah. So, Jake, your first choice. Yes, I'll go for. Oh, well, The Scarlet Papers by Matthew Richardson. You, you almost think. Um, automatically, everyone chooses Mick Heron as best spy novel of the year. This year, I think even Mick has been pipped by the Scarlet Papers. It's basically features a washed-up academic uh, who tangentially connected with the spy world and an uh, elderly lady spy in her 90s wants to write her memoirs and thinks it would be a good way to get him back in the academic game. And this lady has been involved with most of the big spy stories uh, since the 1940s. Uh, she may possibly not always have been on our side, it turns out. And it's, it's, it's a wonderful book. book. It's absolutely steeped in espionage history and espionage fiction. There are lots of references and allusions. Uh, we have the uh, nonagenarian spy talking about her career, but also there's a plot about people want to get hold of the manuscript of her memoirs, some people to publish it, some people to suppress it. So there's um, present-day excitement too. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's really one of the best spy novels I've read in ages. You mentioned the elephant in the room when it comes to spy fiction, Mick Heron, and we will get round to him. Spy version of the Aspen Papers. Yeah, yes, it, I think it is, yes. Lots it of, occurred to me isn't that. it interesting yeah. that no, a lot, no, a lot of good crime novels have that effect, so That's uh, what's the talented Mr. Repley based on? It's based on Henry James, the Ambassadors. Is it? Yeah, if you read it. So why not, if you can be inspired? Henry James is the founder of all crime fiction. Clearly so, yes. Well, House of Stairs, Wings of Jardine. Yes. So, Laura. Um, yes, Other Women by Emma Flint, uh, which came out in the first months of this year. I think it was 
quite a few years since her first book. Her mm. one was the second one, but my God, it was worth a wait. She is brilliant. This book is based on a true crime. It's an, a murder that took place in 1924. Um, and it it's... the narrative pattern is passed between two characters. One is a woman um, between this generation of women who couldn't get married, their sweethearts have been killed in the Great War. They were known as surplus women. These are women who basically exist on the margins of society, because God knows it's bad enough now, but then, you know, if you weren't a wife and a mother, which of course is woman's highest calling, um, you, you were really, really quite stuffed. I mean, it was also hard to get a job, not only because of careers were limited for women, but because men returning from the war were given the first option. And this woman, she's 37, which is geriatric in, in marital age <laughs> at the time, you know, um, not just on the shelf, but fallen off it in the corner on the floor. Um, she manages to get a job as a typist, and um, there she meets a travelling salesman, always dodgy. <laughs> very charming and personal but the thing is he's, he's married and we also hear from his wife and you have a sense very very early on that something awful is is going to happen this is not going to work well um and no spoilers it does it's a fantastic book you can almost believe yourself there mm -hmm. it's so well done so well does she inhabit the past it's not just a matter of research it's how people speak very often with historical novels, you get awful bloopers. And having written some yes. myself for the second and twentieth century, my antenna is really alert to this. And she's absolutely pitch perfect. And it's a wonderful book. It's about desperation, loneliness, um, and public prurience and society. It's a very good point about the, the things that drag you out. I saw a period film recently where somebody said, "Whatever." I thought, no, no way did anyone say that in the end. So you picked a fairly obscure first choice, have you not? Um, not obscure, because in fact it's gone through quite a few reprints. Has it? Okay. And, uh, it's one of those super books. Now, people who know me, obviously, from my tastes in books, know that obviously I'm very much a noir, stroke, hard-boiled uh, fan, and also uh, in what I write. But this... In fact, it's probably the most old-fashioned book of the year. It's a book that could have been written in the 1940s or 1950s, because it's a lot of mystery. You need to where... tell them what it is and who it's yes. by. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that would help. That, that was part of the, the puzzle. Yes. <laughs> uh, anyway, it's a young British uh, crime author called Tom Mead, who's... Uh, who's been contributing to magazines and murder short stories, and it's, it is a first novel, and it's uh, called Death and the Conjurer. And basically, uh, it's an old-fashioned locked room mystery, which is actually devious. Uh, there has been a book about locked room mysteries, I think, which is about 300 pages long, which lists all the solutions, and he's come up with a new one. Mm -hmm. It's deliberately old-fashioned, it's affectionate, and it's almost as if John Dixon Carr was writing today. And he's already published his second book okay. with the same character. Yeah, I think it's, it's one of the books that this new whodunit dagger is absolutely meant for, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's super, fashion. super yes. clever. That, that ending is so gripping, yeah. that locked room, because when you're, you, you know, as a critic, you get lots of books and it's another mm -hmm. locked room mystery. Boy, oh boy, this one's special. Mm -hmm. yeah. My second choice was a, a Georges Semelin book, The Widow Kudag, that's just been... Anybody in this room had joyless sex? <laughs> that's what it's all about that's what the book is all about as much as the fact that it's also a book 
without which Camus the Outsider would not exist. Mm. There's a kind of random, unmotivated crime, and it's superb. Sean Reynolds' translation. Which for me, for a bit of escapism. A bit of escapism. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Oh, your next choice. My next book is actually um, The Secret Hours by McKellen. Mm-hmm. How many people have picked that in this group? Yes, That's my second choice. So Mick Heron can do no wrong at the moment, can he? He can't. I, I think the, the way he writes his stories, I sometimes think, have you been a fly on the wall in rooms? Because kind of like, he writes the books, the stories come out, then all of a sudden, a couple of, you know, down the line, it's happening in real life. And you think, wow, how on earth does he manage to do that? And he's got that snarky, black sense of humour in his writing as well. And I just think they're just absolutely wonderful reads. And, and like Glenn Dayton, he makes it all up, doesn't he? He doesn't mm. do the research. No. No. He makes everything yes. up. He claims. I'm not sure. I totally agree, agree that he doesn't do some research because he's got to. But I think the way in which he just writes makes, as a reader, for me, I just find them absolutely fascinating. And I think that the government should actually read the books. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It'll give them a shot. Disappointment, failure and desperation, sort of the Philip Larkin. Yes. Exactly, yes. So who in this room has seen the TV series but not read the books? Okay, you need to read the books. Read books. <laughs> yes. I this one's it's, it's sort of a standalone. Yeah. It's, it's a standalone, but it's a story. Yes. It's not quite as comic as the Stow House. No, but that's a good thing. He's doing something different. I think it's funny though because I've spoken to Mick about this and he said he started out trying to write a standalone that wasn't really anything to do with Slough House just in its orbit and the more he wrote the more he finished and thought actually it's uh, it's almost a prequel to the series I think it's a good way if you haven't read the Slough House books it's a good way to Great start. But don't you think it's also it's a reflection of our times? Like yes, James yes. Bond is the glamorous and, you know, yes. every woman would like to see him. Every man would like to be him. And then we get George Smiley. And <laughs> yes. But for our age, this perfect, this appalling, flatulent, revolting, yes. disgusting, it's just it kind of yes. sums up yes. the fact that the, the place is turning into a bin fire and, and Jackson Lamb <laughs> is this ultimate symbol of that. Yes, so. definitely. I knew I, I was marking past- myself on the wrong person. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I keep walking past that place that anybody know the Barbican where it's Barbican, actually filmed yes. yeah. which is slow and yeah. I look down there so Paul your next choice right okay that would be The Sins of Our Fathers by Ursulashen and it's translated by Frank Perry uh, it's the last of the Arctic Murders series it's the seventh the Rebecca Martin Shrum novels yeah. um, I think one of the things is there's a, a phenomenal ensemble cast this is a saga this book dates back to 1962 when a body's found in a freezer and you get um, several stories that come forward. She's got an ensemble of police characters. That's not unusual, but this isn't a buddy cop thing. These are seriously mature relationships between seriously mature adults. And one of the things I love about the book is that on top of that, it's always important for me, I think anyway, is the social context. This is a mining town. It's suddenly got, uh, it's suddenly become a target for people who want to make money off the mining and that brings in sex and the drug trade and everything else that comes in with it. So it's it's a real... Um, actually, the town itself, Corona, this is a real town, Corona, I think, in fact, it's actually being moved because it's fallen into the pit yes. of a mine. So the town itself is actually being moved in reality. And this novel kind of reflects on those issues for that northern part of Sweden, the north-south divide, you know, that we get with London and the northeast. But 
beautiful writing, seriously mature characters. Mm. And if you had to go out, this is a literary novel that finishes the series. I did do an event with Ursula Larsson at the Swedish embassy, and she said, can you tell you who I'm not related to fucking Stieg Larsson? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Victoria, so your next choice was The Maiden by the Kate Maiden Foster. The Maiden by Kate Foster. So I quite like to pick debuts sometimes for, for this, because I think it's nice to... Showcasing, this is a historical novel, so we've talked a little bit about this already, set in uh, 1679, which I've helpfully written down as 1979 on my, on my Um And it's, it's, it's inspired by true crime, which for me is, I mean, that was, that was the pull of it, actually. I, loved, I love to read stories where, even if true crime is just a jumping off point, you know, I've talked about this, but the idea of you can really believe it might have happened, it gives a different element of um, being invested, I think, in the story. And in this case, you have a woman, Lady Christian, her name is, and she's arrested and charged with the murder of her lover. But did she kill him? Was it really her? So in a way, it sets it up as a fairly basic mystery. Was it her? Was it somebody else? What's going to happen to her? Which, okay, fine. But for me, that wasn't the allure of the novel. It was, I mean, Laura, you talked about the um, how well place and time is, is captured in novels. And for me, it, it does. Um, I loved it. It was, it was done really brilliantly. Um, and I could believe in it. Um, so it was, and it was very pacey. So the whole, it was, it was the three things I love, the historical setting, the true crime, and then the whodunit element as well. So Jake, your next choice was The Golden Gate by Amy Chua. Yes, and this, uh, Amy Chua, probably best known. Is, She's a tiger mother. Yes, yes, there's a non-fiction writer. This is her first novel. So she's not talking about how to bring up your children anymore. And uh, uh, I, I can't make any connection between the two books, but this is, it's, it's, this is a very fun, crime novel set in uh, San Francisco in the 1940s, uh, The Golden Gate. And uh, it's about a, a presidential hopeful is found in a hotel room dead with his trousers and his ankles. And three, uh, there are three blonde women cousins who are the suspects and a uh, Mexican maid has seen one of them leave the hotel. But as she says, all white blonde women look the same to her. So there's a mixed race cop in it who's been pretending to be white for years so there's a lot of um, stuff about race very funny very sharp um, and wonderful characters as a grandmother of these three cousins who knows who the guilty one is or suspects and the police are saying you know we're going to have them all up for it unless you divulge the truth but she's got her own plan going on and uh, yes great fun enjoyed it we did point out that we we would all choose similar books i'm afraid you've lost your next two choices john i was gonna say because we already discussed the secret hours by mick heron and other women by emma flint so killing moon by joe nesbo okay um obviously i think uh harry hole is one of the kind of great characters in modern crime fiction it's the first harry hole novel for four years and it's interesting in a way that um, Ian Rankin is doing with Rebus and Michael Conley is doing with Bosch, where they get to later in life and they become too old to become detectives or coppers. And, and what do they do when they retire? So Harry Hole is now left the kind of Oslo police. He's in Los Angeles in blues bars and he's decided to drink himself to death um, when... He, he finds a reason to go back to Oslo as a private investigator to help a friend to investigate two missing women um, that were at the same party. And so there's a kind of serial killer on the loose in Oslo preying on women. Um, it's quite macabre and gruesome, but it's also the most fun Harry Hole novel ever. Mm. And for me, it's one of my favourites. Um, I think it's a brilliant. Yes. When I first met him uh, at the time of the Red Breast, that's how far back it was. Mm -hmm. He was not well known at all. Mm -hmm. I did say to him, 
how do we pronounce your name? And how do we pronounce the name of your detective? You went for the anglicised version. He doesn't care anymore. He doesn't care. <laughs> no. He says, Joe Nesbo, that's what people call me. Harry Hole is fine. Mm-hmm. Although it's Joe Nesbo and Harry Hurler, isn't it? So. He said the real pronunciation, when he went to Australia, they had real issues with what it meant in Australia. Yes. So um, <laughs> the anglicised version is better. It's the one to go with. Yeah. So, Laura, your next choice. Um, everybody knows by Jordan Harper, which again, a lot of yeah, but we all pick that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's fabulous. It's set in modern uh, Hollywood, in the most morally squalid universe that you can imagine. Um, it's a woman whose name I think is May Pruitt, and she's what's called a, a black bad PR, it's crisis management, yeah. and it's basically protecting rich and powerful people from the consequences of their terrible actions. It's like Nadine Doris is doing um, now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very, very <laughs> Basically, but she does it much more successfully than um, and it it starts with her doing something terribly clever as a, a, a star who's acquired two black eyes and an unfortunate sex related incident and she's got to film the next day and what do they do and um, so she blames it on on the star's neurotic dog and does a cute Instagram story that the dog was you know very nervous and caused black eyes and she's she's Mapra is she gets she says she gets tremendous buzz from this and you you can understand how the adrenaline would run she has an ex-boyfriend who um, was a policeman and is now the kind of um well he's he's kind of an enforcer isn't he yeah. I mean, he's fixer. a fixer which includes mm. beating people up and they eventually end up together turning on the system that they were originally protecting, and you've got—it's a very sort of J- James Elroy, very got, Elroy-like, uh, isn't it? We are yeah. dealers, but, very unscrupulous people. It's very Elroy, but it's and the one-liners. If Elroy went uh, well, yes. yes, the, run, the one-liners yeah. as well are Raymond Chandler on a good yeah. day because half of these are misfires. Believe me, me. She's re- always wrong about Raymond Chandler. No, I'm not wrong. The big stick was written in 1939, and I guarantee, if you reread it, which I did quite recently, you will be wincing at the misogyny and the homophobia. I absolutely yeah, there's, also, there's also a bit of racism. A, yeah, yes. and the, sorry, the racism as well. Yeah. It's a book of its time. Yeah. But this is, it, it's, it's fabulous in all ways. Great set pieces. Everything marvellous. We all liked it, did we, we not? Yeah. yeah, well, Hollywood. I mean, that has to be the epitome of the American dream, which is actually the American nightmare, and it's here. Somebody, incidentally, there was a fire in his first novel that was important, and there's a fire in this novel as well. Yeah, Somebody is setting fire to, fire to what, what do we call them? Yeah. Lifestyle yeah. choice <laughs> homes. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah somebody's... Yeah. Uh, so that's yeah. uh, it's a, a, a magnificent book yeah. about the American it would, have made, it would have made my list of ten. Uh, unfortunately, we... Very hard to So far in advance. Yes. yes. I read it one week after I did yes. my best of the year. Yeah. So now it's time for you to talk about is it Moscow Exile by John Lawton? Moscow Exile by John Lawton. Uh, I'm in a slight disagreement with uh, Jake on the Matthew Richardson book, which I think is a good book, but I think it's much too long. And I think the character, the main character, is a bit of a problem for me. Right, yes. uh, John Lawton, on the other hand, uh, for me is uh, the epitome of the most underrated uh, British uh, spy. Cold War spy thriller writer today. And this is basically the last book in a series that started, what, 25 years ago. And it is wonderful. It's absolutely hilarious. Uh, 
the jokes are great, uh, even better than Nick Heron, because they're not actually current and he's not reliant on current politics. Uh, Don't talk to them, talk to them. Trying to convince them. And uh, it's been quite a few years since the previous novel in the series. Uh, and a lot of the characters of the series, it starts basically with an exchange of prisoners in Berlin uh, and the fame, on the famous bridge. Uh, and so it goes over well-known territory, but I think it's probably one of the best spy thrillers. Uh, oh, okay, remember, the guild starts with that very scenario. Indeed, of, not just of the last decade, but when you consider it's, but it, it is the final volume of the series. Mm. I think it is an incredible series. It really begs to be uh, reassessed and revisited. Okay. Now, uh, two people on this panel have said it's too ambitious to have topics as well as the books. That was Laura and Maxim. And you're right, but we're still going to have topics. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just going to say two words to the panel and get their individual responses. Starting, Victoria, with you. Celebrity oh, authors. God, no. Oh, we were talking about that earlier. You know what? It's really interesting, isn't it? Because we were discussing this. From a business point of view, if I were a publisher, why would I not want to publish a celebrity author? That's money in the bank. Yeah. As an author... I wish they bloody wouldn't. <laughs> because, you know, however, Janice Hallett says something interesting to us, didn't she? Yes. Which is actually, what if celebrity authors are bringing new readers in who will then discover perhaps other authors that might not have been discovered by them? So perhaps... Well, isn't there also the difference between Richard Coles and Richard Osman? One of them can write. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Agree. <laughs> but I often... those that have ghostwriters, because that, to yeah. me, yeah, yeah. is like, just don't... That's the thing I was going to say, is that yeah. I think it's fine to have a ghostwriter if you're honest. Yeah, the problem yeah. that comes when you pretend it's your novel and yes. don't credit someone that's done the majority of the work. Yeah. Yeah. So I think as long as people up front and say whether they have or haven't written a novel, fine. Can it I just adds to the uh, genre. Yes. So when, uh, Jake, you get your sack of books every day, do you pluck out the celebrity authors for special attention? For the, my special bin, yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think we need to look at the ledgers and the books and see, do they bring in more money for the publishers and is, does that money then trickle down to other authors, no, which I'm is the only been, justification? No, I, I'm not no, I think they suck the air out of the room and they stop other yeah, authors yes, yes, getting yes, published. Yes. A £1 million pound advance is 400, 2,500 advances for authors who can but write. But not just that, I'm not because that. we know with advances that that also equates to marketing spend. Mm. So you're actually also mm. taking that away as well. It's not just about, you know, basic salaries. So yeah, to- um, I decided that unless the book desk really twists my arm, I am not going to review any more novels by celebrity authors unless I have an absolute guarantee that they wrote it themselves. Mm. Mm. How do you know? It's a round of applause. <laughs> well, I shall ask the publisher. And you say, believe what they tell you? Better be telling me the I've, truth. I've just reviewed Michael Caine's debut novel. Oh, 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 oh. So what about it? Himself. He claims to have written it himself, does he not? Yes, he thanks Matthew Dancona and it was whoever wrote it. Quite good, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We, we, we were at an event yesterday and they said. They were going, was it going to be announced today? Yes. That's Susie Bent, who is Countdown. It's supposed to be writing a crime novel. See, it just makes me cry. I mean, I'm sorry. I know I said the thing, but I don't feel warm and fuzzy towards them. I just don't. It bugs me, because it is exactly what you say. Other authors who are so wonderful, debut writers, struggling, they don't get the chance. What if Mrs. Beckham writes a really good crime novel? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, she might have a really good crime novel it's, in there. Possible. David could help her out with the well, grammar. Yes. Lots of celebrities do write good crime novels, and there's nothing wrong with people having a second career. Bringing experience in actually is pretty damn good. Right. But 
none of them write really special novels. Mm. And there are a lot of people who do write really special novels who don't get on bookshelves mm. and don't get published mm. yes. because celebrity writers mm. suck the exactly. air out of the room. Exactly Any celebrities right. in the audience? <laughs> <laughs> so back to the list. So I, I chose Resurrection Walk by Michael Connolly. What do you have to, you don't have to say anything about Michael Connolly, do you? Yeah. So Resurrection Walk has uh, LA detective Harry Bosch, Lincoln lawyer Mickey Haller, and it's, it's Connolly making an astute comments on society and issues of legality. Can I just say that, but don't crime novels generally tend to do that? Generally speaking, as, do they do it well, though? Not celebrity crime novels. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. So, Laura, um, we've, we've discussed The Secret Hours. Jonathan Ames, yeah. it's a wheel of dollars. The second it? in the series, and it's about, it's a half-world novel, it's in contemporary Los Angeles, and he's very much a, a private eye for our times. He's um, had a troubled childhood, he was in the forces, but he's had a lot of therapy, and he's a Buddhist, so he prays for the souls of the bad guys, and he doesn't want to kill the ants who are invading his kitchen. But despite the fact he's 51 and with only one kidney, he's really handy in a fight, and he never backs down. And this is a short book, just over 200 pages. Um, and it's just a lovely story. I mean, I did you... you yes. Read, yeah, it's, it's kind of feel-good. Yes. book as well I mean he, it's he, the second one in the series yes he, he goes off on this rather sort of ludicrous quest to find a woman who's the next girlfriend but just to pull off this thing which few novels do and I think it's really important in Harbour Noir of being completely unrealistic and yet completely mm. realistic and relatable mm. at the same time which is very very difficult mm -hmm. tightrope to walk but he does it and as I say, it's only about 250 pages. And he's got a great dog. Yeah, and he's got <laughs> who he loves. And, yes. and it's just an all-round lovely yes. book, but he's got cracking action sequences Yes, it's really, well. really good action, right? Yeah. So yeah, I have picked a book which I approach with the lowest of expectations. Mm -hmm. You're not to comment on this because it's Raymond Chandler-related. <laughs> I, 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 I read this. You liked it? I liked it. Denise Minor has, has got closest to Chandler of just yes. about anyone who's... Do you agree? Yes. She I gets the one-liners, she gets the sense of yes. L.A. I mean, Chandler's one of my two favourite crime writers, the other one being Better Planet. But I thought that Denise managed it incredibly well. And I think if you haven't read a Chandler book, then you, you can't do anything wrong by, not, by reading Denise, this one. It just, it just reminded me why I like Chandler so much. Right. And it was the sense of... The characters, the sense of place, the one-liners, and it was just for me. I just thought to myself, "Wow, I didn't expect to like it as much as I did." Mm. So, is it an homage? Is that the idea? Of it? Yes. Well, the estate asked her to write okay. it, so oh, okay. she, 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 but yeah, she manages to do it without that distaste for humanity. Yes, which is what I don't like mm. about Chandler. Yes. And I, th I think Second Murder is, is, is a very good. But does that matter though? Because yeah. the, the authors who don't like humanity, Patricia Highsmith. Raymond Chandler, we still mm. love them. Oh, tell your story about Highsmith, which I said to you. I love this story. Which about one? the psychopath one. Oh, yeah, I asked her, I said, um, how does it feel writing so many books about a psychopath? And she said, who? I said, well, Tom Ripley. And she said, he only kills people who get in his way. <laughs> which is true. <laughs> so your next choice. What is it? Well, can I do City Advice, which you, you, can left, do, yes. you left off my... List Barry, yep. it's at the end of your list, isn't it? So, well, well this is a no order. Yeah. Well, it uh, wasn't supposed to be. Anyway, well, <laughs> City Advice. Um, it's set in New Delhi, and it's a, it says on the 
um, paperback there's a quote the Indian answer to the Godfather which is it's not quite right with Jake Arnold, <laughs> so. but it's in, uh, the centre of it is a crime family in New Delhi it's called Age Advice by Deepti Kapoor and it sort of it ranges across the whole of Delhi and further afield in India and I just think if, if you think of the character of a nation is expressed by its criminals then this will really tell you about what modern Mm. India is like it's, it's, um, uh, you learn so much about the country through a sort of godfather type saga yeah. and, um, that's a really interesting and idea also, isn't it the yeah. idea of criminals reflecting society that we're in. It, it also reads like a pulp you know it reads yeah, so yeah. quickly yeah. Yeah. Yes, very quick. yes it's long isn't it but it's, it's one of those long books that doesn't feel long, long. so I've stolen John's next choice which was Resurrection Wolf by Michael Henry so we're on to A Winter Grave by Peter May Mm. So this was out in January this year. Um, it's set against the backdrop of the worst climate change predictions having come true. So most of the UK is underwater and only the highest areas are still surviving. So you have a cop from uh, Glasgow who's sent um, to investigate a body being found encased in ice at the top of a mountain up in the highlands. And he flies up there in a kind of... Um, a kind of big drone as you would have then um, and and then kind of uh, uncovers a kind of uh, conspiracy involving energy companies and the Scottish government to kind of hide why disaster has kind of happened so but it's it's although it has a very serious backdrop and a very serious message at its heart it's just a brilliant murder mystery mm. and investigation Peter is one of those uh, novelists who was is a failed rock star Thank God he failed as a rock star. <laughs> Even though he said this is his last book for he did, a while, he? so we will see. Um, yeah. So, Victoria, um, I think a lot of people on this panel have picked the next book. Yes. And we do think she's terrific. Cara Hunter. Cara Hunter, I think she mm. is terrific. And by the way, I'm talking to her in Tottenham Court Road on the 24th, uh, okay. if anybody wants to come. Um, Murder in the Family. Who's, who's read Murder in the Family? Apart from oh, the yeah. panel. Apart from the panel. <laughs> Look at these guys, but you should do. It's really great. It's a, it's a murder mystery, but it's told through such a clever format of a reality TV show um, where you see it all unfolding, and it unfolds literally, effectively, in real time. And kind of like the Janice Hallett, the reader is brought along for the ride and is almost a participant as well as just a reader in the story. And, Maxim, we were going to talk about this, I think, weren't we, this idea of form over substance? I know we've talked about some... Well, OK, maybe we weren't. I thought we were... Um, some, there are some books, are, are there not, where you feel that the form is leading the story and it's not really about the story, it's just mm. the form driving it, and that can be a disappointment. With Cara's book, this is not at all the case. The form is as much a part of it as the story, and both work brilliantly together to, to pull it off. Mm. And it's, it's very original. It's, sort of, it's almost an evolution for her, because, of course, she uses real media anyway in her previous books. And I suppose it's it's the next step, and she does it brilliantly. There's this interesting trend towards collage books, in the which mm, that is. Janice yeah. Hallett's book is a collage book. Yes. Which we're given some. Yes, and it's it's collage in that it's not interspersed, because, I mean, there are a lot of books where, I mean, my books interspersed real media, mm. don't they? Yes. But this is different. This is just the real media playing it for you, I think. It's, so, I think Laura, I hope you can pronounce for me, because I can't. Scorched Grace by Margot... I, I believe it's pronounced Duahi. Duahi, OK. I believe. And what did it... Um, what appealed to you about what that? What immediately appealed to me about this one is that it's a, a tattooed queer nun. Um, you don't get many of those. No, you don't. <laughs> well, maybe you do. And, um, <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> it's, uh, it's set in New Orleans and um, rather sort of beleaguered convent as any 
whole of nuns. And um, yeah, there's a, there's a convent school, obviously some of the teachers are lay teachers, and there's an arsonist at work, and the janitor of the school is killed. And Sister Holiday, um, who's a former punk rock musician, who's had a fairly traumatic background um, before, before she became a nun, um, sets to work and solves the mystery. Now, what appealed to me about this wasn't actually the mystery itself, because I guessed fairly early on, and I think that does happen if you read quite as many of these mm -hmm. things. Yeah. I quite often do, so I do, you know, <coughs> and also probably because I'm a cynical, horrible person as well. Um, You're supposed to argue with that? I, I loved the character, um, and again, she seems... Uh, sort of very unreal, but she's very real at the same mm. time. And I, I love the way that, that the author reconciled her faith with with this other aspect of her background. I just thought that was, as a character study, was incredibly well done. And I think it's a projected series, so I'm looking forward to finding out what Sister Holiday does next. Okay, so before we get into another topic, Paul, you're going to demonstrate your Welsh to us now ah. with the Library <laughs> Suicides by... I thought you were going to ask us to sing Happy Birthday or something. <laughs> Flir David. Flir David. Yeah. Okay. There we are. Okay. Done it. Uh, oh, no, this is a fascinating book. It was originally published in Welsh. It was a TV series in Wales, and it's, I think, available on the iPlayer, actually. Um, but then she turned it into English, and when she turned it in, it translated it herself. Uh, the opposite of something that Clermont's Michelon decided not to translate her novel into French. She's a French writer, by the way. But it, she said that if she did, she'd change it. And that's exactly what happened here. It became a thriller. So this is about two sisters who've decided that a critic is responsible for the death of their mother. And so they lure him to the National Library of Wales, where they decide to exact their revenge, which winds up in a hostage situation. And it's, these are twin sisters. How far will they go? It's one of those things where every page you're half turning, you're thinking, oh, my God, they will, yes, they will. Um, the atmosphere is brilliant. But for me, as I said, I also love those novels where there's something else in there, and this is about cultural identity, and it's about misogyny, and these issues come out in the book. But this is beautifully written and absolutely... And is it a very Welsh book? Um, yes, in the sense that it, it might... Well, if, if you're English and you don't understand why Welsh people claim to be yes. Welsh <laughs> rather than part of the wider England, this is the sort of book that can help you to understand well, that. It is. Uh, yes. Yeah, so. so next uh, debate topic. topic. So I'm going for two words each time. That's who shall I start with? I'll start with Jake. I've got two words for you. <laughs> Not those two words. The two words for this part of the debate are sensitivity readers. Sensitivity readers. Well, I, I, I wrote a piece, um, it might have been last year, or very early this year, uh, in defence of sensitivity readers. And I, I interviewed several of them and they said, oh no, all we do is, you know, I, I might be disabled or black, and some, somebody who is, isn't but is writing a book with those characters um, sends a draft to me and I just go this is, this is what uh, I don't think this is what we do or you've made a mistake here we, you know, we, would, we, don't, we never say we're suffering from a condition we say we have a condition so but then um, I, I was assured and then and later in the year we heard all this stuff about Roald Dahl and people completely rewriting him and it turns mm -hmm. out that um, the Daily Mail was right all along and there is a cabal of mad people getting hold of books and changing them completely. Mm. So in that sense, um, it can be well, isn't, isn't harmful. That, isn't that the problem that even Mark Twain has been rewritten to avoid giving it? He's been dead for quite a while. Yeah. So does it really matter that Mark Twain might not 
chime with modern sensibilities. But also Not he's writing him. at a particular no. time and it's reflected off the time he's writing. Yes, it's yes, historical course. almost. So of the 21 books by Maxim Jakubowski, how many of them got possible? <laughs> None of them. My, my agent uh, knows that uh, any sensitivity reader clause uh, in a contract I'm offered uh, would not be acceptable. No. <laughs> uh, no, I find the whole principle of bold. Uh, but I have nothing good. against sensitivity readers. Mm. I mean, if they're given a job, they'll do the job, and I'm sure they'll be very honest about why we're doing. But it's the whole principle of publishers using sensitivity readers. I really feel very strongly that authors should be allowed to write what they want. Question: If they've done something wrong, then okay, they, they can answer the criticism. But yeah. it's like pre-censorship. Okay, question: Because I agree, I don't like the idea of censorship, and we've all talked about Rosal, mm. haven't we? But going back to Jake's point, which I didn't realise before, if it's simply a matter of, say, for example, a rape victim will talk about themselves being a survivor, not a victim. If that's just an expression and a writer uses the wrong expression, not because it'll offend somebody, but it's just not authentic... Doesn't that make sense to point that out? Because that's not the role of a sensitivity reader. The role it's the role of a copy editor. Mm-hmm. I would accept any anything from a copy editor would point out I've, I've said something wrong or that something doesn't fit in or can be misinterpreted. I'm quite happy, but not. I wouldn't accept it from say. Who are these sensitivity readers? They're coming out of nowhere. They have no experience. Right? But I, I would say publishers have always sensitivity read themselves if they yes. would decide what it is, yeah. when they. I'd be, be second guessing what mm. people think and yeah, Laurie, you're I, writing I, YA books yes so you... I absolutely do agree that there's no point going backwards into history yeah. and yeah. it's just ridiculous mm. I mean goodness sake pull yourself together you know <laughs> but now I've started writing um, YA books I actually agree with Jake's point about the sensitivity reader and would be quite happy for that and certainly if I was writing characters with disability or anything like that which is not within my experience. Mm. Actually, I would welcome that. Yeah, yeah, so, that's yeah. how I feel. But I guess it depends on what you're talking about when you say yeah. sensitive reader, and maybe that's yeah. maybe that's the point. Isn't it? Well, I think there yeah. are a couple of extremes yeah, you have to worry about with that. In general, I understand the points being made, yeah. but one is that you could wind up with writers deciding to only write characters who fit mm-hmm. the background mm-hmm. that they actually come mm-hmm. from themselves. Well, the sensitive reader is meant to. No, no, I know, o- but these are. Yeah. That. Yeah, well, okay, then, then yeah. that takes me to my second point, and this is this one. And that's whether, for example, if a white male writer of a certain age put a book forward to a publisher and it had black characters, female characters, it had LGBT plus characters, would they look on it and just say, yeah, fair enough, we'll read this and we'll see what's happening here mm. and then we'll give it to some sensitivity readers? Or might they just think, maybe we don't need to trouble with this because it's a bit mm. of a problem. That's interesting. Uh, that would, that's and that's that the is, extreme. That and happening. I know that's not yes. what you were yes. saying. You that, 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 is that is happening already. Did you say that publishers, is it you that said publishers already pre-censor in a way? Yes. So uh, American Psycho, Brett Easton Ellis, British publishers turned it down one after another. Mm. Picador and people, and finally it was published and was a, was a massive hit. So now we're going to speed up because we've got quite a few books to get but through. But it is also a spectacularly revolting book. Ironically, I found the very, the very excess that book made it harmless. Yes, there was so that. much going on, it became harmless after three pages of outrage, I would have thought, rather than say just one. I think that was a mixture of that and the brand names. It could have been, yes. Yeah. Could have been. So my next choice, and we're now going to just a sentence each, please, is um, The Square of Sevens by Laura Shepard Robertson which is exuberant historical fiction 
justifies its length totally, and yes. she's done three terrific books in all yes. of And she's got always got a great sense of place. I mean, I like historical crime fiction. I'm kind of edging towards like a Georgian period at the moment, mm. mainly because of the way Laura just writes about it. She just manages to drag you into that period, and you'll think, well, what's going on here? And I know that book is long, but it is very, very well written. And so like one, one sentence I owe on The Turn Glass by Gareth Rubin. Ooh, one sentence. Read it. <laughs> <laughs> well, read it. But read the book because it won't work on Kindle because it's yes. Yes. Tech there. Yes, read the book. Well, which one tech. do you start with? You read them in chronological order because you want to be intrigued and not totally baffled. Exactly. Paul read one chapter, then another chapter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. you can read yeah. lots of those. So it's, Paul, it's, it's certainly a really, really... I'm speeding you up now. Yeah. Okay. Don't spend too long. <laughs> Squeaky Clean by Caelan McSorley. Yeah, maybe... Don't do that at all. Well, this book made me laugh. It's just fun. It's a guy who works in a car wash. He decides to borrow a gangster's car. He needs to, actually, because he's got to go to a hearing over his child. And he gets kidnapped along the way by another gangster who sets fire to the car, and now he's in an awful lot of trouble. So it's an awful lot of fun. But this book actually beat Denise Minor, Ian Rankin, and Ambrose Parry to the McIlvenny Prize in Scotland. So, Victoria, you're going to get... Now, here's a book that really has... Mm. Had a seismic effect on people. Yeah, has, Strange yeah. Sally Diamond Strange by Liz Diamond. Anybody read it here? There we are. Yeah. Um, okay, in a sentence, Laura, you liked this one, didn't yeah, you? So it. tell me if you agree with this. It was almost like Eleanor Oliphant of crime for me. Did you get that sense? There was well, the character. Well, it was a whole lot darker. It though, was very dark. It was oh, it was very, very as you would expect with yeah. this Nugent, right? But yeah. it was brilliant, and I loved the psychology. I loved the character. I thought it was just brilliantly yeah. realised and really. Um, both fun and disquieting. But what I also liked about it was it was truthful. I'm not sure yes. that Eleanor Oliver would have been. Agreed. Fine. Agreed. I'm sorry, but I just Agreed. don't. You know, mm -hmm. um, there wasn't going to be no yeah. spoilers because I won't tell you what happens. A yeah. happy ending. There couldn't be. No. Some people are damaged beyond yeah. repair, and she's such a lovely character. Yeah. And you so want everything to be all yes. right, but it it can't be. Mm. And. I think Liz Nugent's brilliant, but this is yeah. her best one. I totally yeah. agree with you. Yeah. Okay, John, so now I'm going to stop you there because we've got a lot to get through. John, um, Just Between Us by Adele Parks. Okay, well, this is Adele Parks at her finest, a real page-turner. It's the follow-up to both of you, but Coretta's standalone, which is about a woman married to two men at the same time, opens with the woman missing, presumed dead, and both husbands being the suspects, and then with a... Um, a woman who's lost her memory living in a quiet village in Cornwall. That's how are they doing? Are we going to allow Jake to cheat because um, he's cheating with his next choice? Um, Suspects oh, by Suspects, David Thompson. Yeah. Which was published <laughs> quite a few years ago, many, many years ago. It it's been reissued by a distinguished publisher who may be in the room. Um, it's, uh, if, if Stop sucking up. <laughs> David Thompson, great film critic, author of the um, Biographical Dictionary of Film and, and the, the novel, Suspects, starts off a bit like uh, the biographical dictionary, except it's about fictional characters from films, all the ones you know, from Casablanca and Sunset Boulevard, and then it, it seems a very odd sort of biographical dictionary, but gradually you see how these characters um, come out of the prison of the films and uh, live in the real world, and you start to realise who is the person writing these biographies. It's a very difficult book to describe, as I'm demonstrating but very um, cerebral and strange, uh, totally steeped in film noir. And it's like a lot of David Thompson's work. He, he hates the movies as much as he loves them. And there's a real yeah. sense of the damage 
watching too many film noirs can do, which I know, reading too many crime novels, perhaps. Indeed. <laughs> so, Laura, so you've picked, um, what, what's your next choice? Uh, Bandicoot. Bandicoot by, by Perini Shroff. Yes. Um, yes, this is one I had to beg and plead to call in, so I thought it was classed as a literary novel and shortlisted for the Woman's Prize. Um, it's set in modern India, and it's about this lady who lives in a village in an incredibly violent, misogynistic and corrupt society. It's a very over-the-top book. It's very, very funny. But she basically, because everyone thinks she's offed her violent alcoholic husband who has simply left one day, but, but she's sort of a pariah because everyone thinks she's killed him. And then her frenemies start sort of sidling up to her and say, can you help me with, with mine? So, um, and she finds herself in the middle of this sort of maelstrom of disaster with bootleggers and gangsters and goodness knows what else. And as I say, it is very over the top, but it, for people who live in such terrible conditions, that's possibly the correct yeah. response to it. Um, it's funny, it's dramatic, it's vivid, it's moving, it's everything. Yeah. Fantastic characterisation. So, Maxim, you've lost Strange Sally Diamond. What do you want next? Is your um, the Messenger by Megan Davis. Basically, Very good writer, um, I believe. I've, I've, I've seen her somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, as a reviewer, I've always made it a habit for the last 30 years of uh, doing a monthly column uh, of always reading every three books I read, I read a first novel because it's the way you see what's happening in the genre. And this one, I wasn't even sent by review and I was given a copy and I, I loved it. Everything could go wrong with this book. It's a story about uh, a young man who appears to have killed his father. It's a story about terrible uh, family relationships. It's set in Paris, which is very important. It looks into the social structure of contemporary France. Uh, and having lived in France myself for 25 years, any book set by an English writer, English-speaking writer, set in France, I look at through a microscope. I mean, I even gave a terrible review of the garden to uh, the Da Vinci Code. Which, <laughs> <laughs> Can you believe it? Which, which, which shows you the power, the power of a reviewer. Yes. <laughs> and, killed the sales of that book. Yeah, and also, <laughs> the final aspect of the book, it's also a great conspiracy thriller. So, And it's a first novel, uh, and it's by an Australian-English writer who happens to be in this room, but that's... Coincidental, yes, purely coincidental. One of the deputies of the year. <laughs> okay, so we have five minutes left. So we have one more topic for discussion, and we're going to be careful because we've got several grand fromage of the CWA here. We've got the Daggers Lays and officer sitting here, ex CWA chair. Bas Khan didn't make it. So the two new daggers, the twisted and the who done it dagger. I don't like those titles, Victoria. <laughs> <laughs> don't like you either. Um, no, I'm joking. Um, I think they're maybe not very original titles, but I think great to bring some new um, genres into Why do we need daggers? a dagger for psychological crime? Well, that's what the daggers are for. Because most of them end up in the inflaming steel dagger and they just you are not supposed to, shouldn't be there. Well, <laughs> yeah, they've been strange bedfellows that Ian Fleming daggers mm. for a thriller, exactly. and that's either a spy for the action mm. thriller or action. a psychological thriller. It's totally, mm. you're, you're comparing mm. apples and oranges. So the whodunit mm. is for... It actually says cosy crime, doesn't it? Yeah. Yes. It's in the text. Well, again, cosy crime. It, it's, it's not. You know, most people who are called cosy crime don't actually like using the term themselves, no. so no. it may be a bit problematic. No. But, is yeah. that 
sorry, it's that thing of cozy crime is actually golden age crime isn't cozy crime. No, it's psychological. It's a whole mm, bunch of other things, absolutely. but of course, it doesn't necessarily have bloody bodies all over the yeah. floor. Yeah. Do we have anybody? I mean, there is that cozy crime, which is the cat detected in the yeah, bloody just about to mention that. Be very careful. Somebody in this room has probably written a cat mystery or a dog mystery. <laughs> A very good writer we know is writing dog mysteries at the moment. <laughs> and that would be up for the who's who, 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 two. Who's the other Are one? Are you writing yeah. one, Matt? Me. So now we have exactly two minutes left. So I would like you to just pick two books each off your list that we haven't discussed with a sentence about them. Mm. One sentence. Okay, my two books would be Viper's Dream, Jazz, Drugs, yeah. Cool Music. Yeah, just and a brilliant And the book. second one would be... Um, Ozark Dogs by Eli Crane. What can I say? Yes. Southern Noir. It reminds me to a certain extent, but on a different level of some of S.A. Cosby. Mm-hmm. Brilliant writing, so, the social aspect in it, and you just have to. And say, a very good protagonist. The Blood of Others, Graham Hurley. Some people might not consider it a crime novel. Mm-hmm. It's actually a novel about uh, a war crime yeah. committed by our side, actually, needlessly sending thousands of Canadian soldiers to their death for no point in 1942. Macro and macro. The macro story is from the Russian, German and British allies' perspective. The micro story is the actual journalist who's on the ground with the soldiers. And it's just a phenomenal um, look at the war in a personal story aspect, but also in this wider aspect. And the thing about it is you don't have to agree with his opinion on his history, but you can engage with it. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a, I think they're brilliant. It's a whole series and they're brilliant books. One more. Uh, Martin Patient, The Dark of the Night. Scottish independence as a backdrop. Fifty years ago, Douglas Hurd, Andrew Osman wrote Scotch on the Rocks, duller than his own voice. But this is steeped in the locale, and it's uh, it's a really great story too. Death of a civil servant. Did the first minister do it? And there you are. Victoria. Do I have to speak really fast too? Quickly. Okay, go. Mysterious Case of the Alps and Angels. Yes, we haven't mentioned Alex. that and we need to mention that. We do. I think Great. we do. And she's she's getting better and better, isn't she? And just, I love I love the form and she handles it so well. But what's interesting is people think of her as cosy, but I wonder how cosy her books really it's not are. Like not cosy. Not yeah, exactly. No, but people talk, when you talk about her, people often say cosy. They do, but actually there is definitely a darker side. Do you get one more choice? Um, Obsessed by Eliza North. Another debut came out in January. Very compulsive reading about a married woman whose life is turned upside down when her lover turns up, her, her long time ago lover, and then he's found dead. Okay. John, two books. Okay, well... There's only one on my list that hasn't been mentioned so far. But I will, I will do a, one, an upcoming one. So um, I will find you by Harlan Coben, which is Harlan Coben is absolute finest. It has the kind of hook, he's, which is his trademark, but it carries it all the way through and will just keep you on the edge of your seat the whole way through. So I'd, I'd recommend that. And because when we did the list, it hadn't come out yet, and it's coming out later this month, I'm going to mention The Year of the Locust by Terry Hayes, mm-hmm. which is the follow-up to I Am Pilgrim. It's I've already, I've already, <laughs> well, I love it. I've already given Laura's view of that part. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> some people will hate it because of something in it. But did you, like, it. did you like I Am Pilgrim? I did. No. Yeah. Yeah. I, did. Really? I did. It is a debate, remember. So, so if you're an I Am Pilgrim fan, you'll love it. I'm Terry Hayes is one of those writers who write a brilliant book but he's a terrible prose writer it's very odd like Dan Brown yeah. no he's a terrible prose writer he writes shit <laughs> <laughs> will that be on the next jacket terrible writer writes shit books so Jake two books oh okay well uh, 
Beware the woman by Megan Abbott. She everything she wants. Very good writer. She surpassed herself. Oh yeah, wonderful. It's this heavily pregnant woman with her new husband. They're going uh, across America to meet her father-in-law for the first time, and and she thinks he said we should turn back, but they deny saying it. But it turns out this father-in-law is a very creepy individual, and she's sort of shut away in his house. Um, uh, it's absolutely terrifying. And then uh, I suppose Spy Hunter by H. B. Lyle. This is the latest in the series of books. Do you, if you read Sherlock Holmes, do you remember Wiggins, the little boy, the Baker Street Irregular, who leads the, the gang of street urchins? And H.B. Uh, Lyle has had the brilliant idea of thinking what would happen when Wiggins has grown up, set the books in the 1910s. Um, and in this one, it's a terrible... Sherlock Holmes is murdered, and uh, Wiggins is tasked with crossing Europe and finding out... Who did that first? Was it the Flashman books that had a grown-up... Boy, yes, yes, yes. Laura, two books. Um, I have some questions for you by Rebecca, Rebecca Mackay. It's um, contemporary American, it's dark academia, me too, our rather uncomfortable relationship with true crime. Um, uncomfortable, all about how we all suffer from confirmation bias and should maybe be more objective, and what happens when me too gets a bit too close to home and it's your estranged husband. Mm-hmm. Um, and Blackthorn by Sarah Hillary which is about a family who are literally and figuratively on the edge they're in a scuzzy caravan on a Cornish cliff the father um, is responsible for a luxury new property development which has turned out to be jerry built and everything's gone horribly wrong and I think that new builds that go wrong like the ghost villages in Ireland and that sort of thing are actually much more mm. creepy and atmospheric than the old dark house mm. don't you go up there kind of thing mm. um, and it's extraordinarily atmospheric into the middle of this comes a, put the 29 year old daughter back from London she's uh, neurodivergent um, and she it is she who works out what's going on but Sarah Hillary is so good at atmosphere, okay. and she's really surprised herself with this one. So, Maxim, you have the last two books of the evening. Uh, the Kingdoms of Savannah by George Dawes Green. Uh, George Dawes Green's uh, first book, I think, in about seven or eight years. He'd only written five books in about 30 years. And it was basically criminally badly published. Uh, but it was saved by the jurors of the Gold Dagger who gave it the Gold Dagger. To the best of my knowledge, a lot of reviews weren't even sent for a copy. No, never heard of it. Beautiful Southern Noir, incredible characters, beautifully written, a wonderful sense of place. For me, it deserves a gold dagger. And your other choice? My other choice uh, is a non-fiction book. The late Christopher Fowler uh, Mm. published posthumously the uh, third volume of his memoirs, Word Monkey. And it's a beautiful book. It's not just about his crime writing, it's about his life. It's about everything, it's about a love of books. And in, uh, considering it was written when the author knew he was dying, mm. uh, it's a wonderful elegy to uh, reading and books and uh, a beautiful memory of a great writer. I'd second that and say, anybody yes. in this room, and we all love books, everybody in this room, yeah. if you love books, it's a we wonderful book. Sound. And it's a book about dying. And yet it's still a life-affirming book, it's, is it yeah. not? It's fabulous, it's incredibly moving, but do read the first two, Paperboy and mm. Film Free. Yes. I, yeah. I, not just moving, I you know, peed yeah. myself laughing, yeah. The Guardian. <laughs> um, they're absolutely <laughs> <laughs> Read them all, okay. okay, wonderful. So everything we've talked about will be fully online with all of their choices on Crime Time. 
So can I ask you all to thank the panel?